November 2020, Anti-Bullying Week, and more than one in four young people say they've recently been bullied. But what long-term effect does this have on mental health and education? Welcome everyone to our 26 podcast brought to you by Good Thinking, London's digital mental wellbeing service. This is Sonia Etetwani at Good Thinking, which provides round-the-clock online mental wellbeing support for those living or working in London. In this powerful podcast, our clinical director, psychiatrist Dr Richard Graham, is in deep discussion with Alex Holmes, founder of Anti-Bullying Ambassadors Programme and deputy CEO of the Dine Award, and welcome to British BAFTA award-winning actor Will Poulter on the latest thinking on bullying behaviour. In this episode, they discuss how we need to keep breaking down the barriers that stop us recognising and addressing bullying behaviours, how sometimes you even need to change the dictionary definitions of words, and how reporting is supporting. The cost of turning a blind eye to bullying behaviours is a trauma that can cast a lifelong shadow. Thank you, Sonia, and thank you, Alex and Will, so much for giving us your time today. As you'll be very aware, this is Anti-Bullying Week, And this is a topic that we know has a huge importance in mental health. Alex, if I could first ask you, what is the best definition or description of bullying if somebody was trying to understand it? It's a word that's used a lot. Particularly, the definition is really important for children and young people. We like to describe it as something that makes you feel upset, unsafe or uncomfortable. And that it has to be something that's more than once, so it's repetitive I think we, we believe that because bullying is an intentional behaviour, it's deliberate, and we know that there is sadly unkindness in, you know, in, in the world, in our schools, so we want young people to be resilient. So we do stress quite heavily on, on the idea that it's deliberate behaviour that's repetitive and it's about making someone feel upset, unsafe or uncomfortable. So somebody who may be being insensitive without quite knowing what impact that has is quite different from someone who is saying or doing something that they know will have that impact on you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that, that label of bullying behaviour, it's, it's important that we understand that people make mistakes, they have bad days, you know, perhaps when they're not feeling terribly good themselves. And I think for yeah. that we can we can overlook the behaviour as long as it doesn't happen again. I guess one of the things that can be a bit confusing, and of course this is something somebody who is uh, carrying out bullying behaviour might even say, is that sometimes this will be considered banter, what's going on. It's a word that a lot of young people recognise. How do you help young people, or adults for that matter, recognise when something has moved beyond sort of banter uh, to something that really is edging into bullying behavior i think banter's shared and you know you have to you have to be in on on the joke you have to understand you have to have a familiar relationship with that person and and i think that's a really key ingredient and i suppose well you must i mean in comedy as well right there's a real sense that you have to both feel equal in in the sort of enjoyment of it most accurate definition that i've come to know regarding bullying and indeed kind of separating it from banter has come about through you know knowing knowing you Alex and the work that I've sort of witnessed from anti-bullying pro I can recall a event where the definitions were outlined and it was under the banner of discussing the importance of language and and the fact that the definition actually does matter 
And so the, the two things aren't misconstrued because obviously at school, you want kids to be able to share in a joke with one another. You, you don't want to eliminate good, healthy, fun dialogue um, whatsoever. But but at the point that it becomes something that makes someone feel you know uncomfortable or disrespected or, or hurt in any way, then it's about readdressing that behavior and thinking quite carefully about the danger of repeating it. But comedy is, is, is a really interesting one. You don't want to eliminate the existence of comedy. I think in the in the wider context of mental health, comedy can be a hugely sort of useful tool, I think, to, to brighten people's moods. But when, when someone is sort of being made the butt of a joke and they're not comfortable with that, that needs addressing. And I think you are in danger of crossing into kind of bullying territory at that point. Yes, there's often that almost sadistic edge that creeps into it, doesn't it, where humiliation mm-hmm. and putting the other down, whether it's comedy or another way, is, is key to that bullying behaviour. But it is an interesting idea in a way that if all parties are kind of consenting together, that's quite different from someone using power in whatever way to coerce or control the other. And I guess that's also quite similar to some of the bullying behaviours that you come across. That power thing is a good point as well, because... There is an imbalance of power when, when when it comes to bullying, and you know that's one of the things that someone that's displaying bullying behaviour can make someone feel uh, that they don't have that power and that they feel vulnerable. And actually, both Will and I were involved in a campaign that we did around uh, the dictionary definition of bullying. So the dictionaries used to define bullying as happening to people that are weak or weaker when you looked up the definition. And we thought that was wrong and damaging as, as a label. So we, we we started a bit of a campaign and, and people like Will joined in on, on social media, tagging the, the dictionaries. And, and eventually, one by one, they all changed the definition and removed the word weak from it. And, and, and now it, now when you look up the uh, word bullying in the dictionary, you, no longer are you defined as weak if you have experienced it. And, and, and we know that words are really powerful. That was, I think that was a real mas- milestone for us, actually. You know, I think the common denominator across how we discuss mental health and how we discuss bullying is, is actually the importance and the significance of words. There's been enough evidence to show that actually a, a lot of the time, and without kind of downplaying the obvious impact of, of physical bullying or physical harm caused through bullying, but I think the psychological impact of words on people young people who have experienced bullying is it it can't really be overstated just how significant it is and i think yeah the work that um alex did in the anti-bullying pro campaign did to to change that definition goes goes a really long way to not feel as though they're weak for having experienced that and to the same extent anyone who's suffering from with mental health issues you know should not for a, for a moment feel as though that makes them weak or, or inferior in any sort of way I, I get sort of defensive about the significance of words because i think people often like to dismiss the significance of words in the context of conversations about bullying or to defend certain behaviors you know but words really do carry such a such a huge uh, they can carry such a huge power well it just reminds me it's, it's a fantastic development uh, for you both um, and reminds me one you know how stigma and mental health and how suicide or attempted suicide used to be a crime you know that that punishing people who are vulnerable is is something that i guess our species needs to recover from but there's also the great you know sticks and stones may break my bones sort of i don't know maybe showing my age a little by remembering that but there was an american writer or i think it might have been poet ogden nash who changed it you know because the, the the childhood version i remember was words will never hurt you but he wrote um sticks and stones may break your bones but words will damn near kill you really 
touching on what you're saying, really, the power of words, especially when they're abused in the way they can be, to carry out that sort of act of power, um, really does have a devastating impact. So that sounds like a fantastic achievement to you both. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Inevitably, thinking about bullying behaviours and the relationship to, to mental health. And I wonder what thoughts you've got on the different sort of impacts um, that behaviour might have in terms of someone's mental health. One of the things that we always refer back to is a big study by King's College in London, which looked at young, I think it was 10 and 11-year-olds exposed to, to bullying, and then tracked them all the way up to age 50. And those 50-year-olds uh, were more likely to have poorer mental health, poorer job prospects, uh, lack the ability to trust other adults, all from that experience of, of being at school. And, and some, sometimes I think we forget that um, children spend 11,000 hours of their life in full-time education, and it's a huge amount of time. And if just one of those hours you are made to feel upset and safe or uncomfortable, then it's going to be very hard for you to fulfill your potential, to concentrate. It's going to affect your self-esteem, your confidence. And, and you know, that's certainly something that was true to me. While I did you know, certainly recover and, you know, I didn't need to go through it and, and it didn't, you know, make my sort of childhood at times as happy as it could be. Um, and I think when you're when you're a young person, particularly, and you have a worry or a concern playing on your mind, then it is hard to enjoy relationships with your friends and your family and, and enjoy life as much as you should and, and you could. So there's a quite a big uh, link between bullying and, and, and uh, behaviour and, and, and your mental health. And of course, this isn't just an issue that affects young people, but I think one of the biggest things we can do is educate uh, young people so that actually when they become adults or when they're online or when they're on, on, on the bus, they, they know a little bit more about the impact of their behaviour and they understand the, the impact and uh, what their behaviour can do. And one of the things I, I guess from my clinical work uh, that strikes me is just how traumatic the experiences can be and the rawness of feelings of dread and fear and an urge to avoid, you know, the ordinary situations which might be school or sometimes social occasions. I mean, would you recognise that sort of experience for young people that you work with? Absolutely. I think there's a huge amount of dread filled with the experience of bullying and partly because you worry that if you speak out that perhaps it might make the situation worse. And yeah. maybe you don't want to bother your, you know, your mum or your dad or whoever's at home about it as well because you don't want to cause them stress. So I think that there's a lot that you carry when you go through the, that experience. Um, and, and what we do know, though, is that when you, when you trust somebody and when you speak out, nine out of ten times it, it does get a whole lot better very quickly. But... Yeah, I think absolutely there's that dread. And I know, you know, Will, Will's met a lot of our young people as well and spoken to them about, you know, their experience. But I think when you when you are in your school, it's it's like your own world. You are really influenced and impacted by your, the peers around you. And uh, it's a really tough one, I think. Mm. I was going to just to piggyback off that, you know, I think bullying and mental health are inevitably linked. And another common denominator is the fact that there is a stigma around both subjects. I think key to dismantling that stigma is actually sort of reforming the education around the subjects, making sure that while at school, there is an education about bullying, and there's an education about mental health. And, and I should point out that you know, teachers already have an, an enormous task and 
they shouldn't be burdened with the responsibility of also being counselors necessarily or, or um, uh, overseeing all of this themselves. But, but I think that we do need to look at our education system at large. And if we take the view that we're trying to best prepare young people for the outside world and set them up for the best sort of possible experience after school, then, you know, it, it stands to reason that we make sure that while they're there, they're in a safe and happy environment. And that requires us to develop an anti-bullying culture within schools. And and secondly, I think that when someone is at school, they, they aren't intimidated by the prospect of struggling with their mental health, or they're, they're not in a position where they feel as though they can't actually talk about it because while at school, it was just something that just wasn't really discussed. And I'd like to think that's changing. I think speaking to young people, uh, I, I'm going to sound really, really old, but speaking to young people these days, <laughs> it's really encouraging to hear just how much mental health is at the forefront of conversations. Uh, only, only the other day, Alex kindly let me sort of crash a Zoom call with the youth board. And it's amazing to hear how in their anti-bullying work, I think mental health is, I mean, if it's not the focus, it's certainly a focal point of the work that, that they're, they're doing. They're really looking at the need to address bullying culture in schools and create an anti-bullying culture for the sake of mental health development. And, you know, as Alex said, 11,000 hours spent in, in education, you know, in, in your formative years. And that is so much time where you could just have one hour in which a, a highly traumatic you know, event happens. And the long term ramifications of that, you know, well into adulthood could be massive. And I know from not just talking to young people, but my personal experience, there are things that, you know, I went through when I was younger that still affect me in the audition room now or when I'm on set or in a social scenario or in my relationships. And it's really, really important for us to, I think, acknowledge it as early as possible and where possible, you know, um, affect positive change. Really interesting point, Will, about how stigma in terms of bullying and mental health sort of kind of come together as well. It's a sort of double whammy of disadvantage. Young people talking more about this bullying behavior, more about mental health kind of simultaneously. But I wonder what thoughts you have about how we in mental health should be responding to this, because obviously much can be done in schools creating cultures, being more receptive, reducing obstacles for those in these difficult situations. But there are sometimes those traumatic moments where something therapeutic would be really helpful. Do you hear from young people or, or from your own experiences what kind of works and, and what actually makes it more difficult? Yeah, well, I think I personally was very lucky that I had parents that I was able to talk to quite openly about these things credit my my mum in particular as someone I had a very kind of open dialogue when I was struggling I think um you know w with bullying but especially with with my mental health when I was younger and I and I appreciate that that that's not necessarily available to everybody and and indeed it's not necessarily an easy conversation to, to start or to sort of maintain and I think that also not everyone has the luxury of therapy although I think it'd be wonderful if everyone did have access to not not everyone has that luxury either but but one thing I do know that works for sure is that the anti-bullying ambassador program, you know, helps to I think change actively change the the social environment and and, and the culture of the schools in which anti-bullying ambassadors trained ambassadors are, are present. Um, and and just recently a, a case study revealed that um, four out of five schools that 
engage with the anti-bullying ambassador program have reported an, an improvement in terms of the anti-bullying culture at school and, and a reduction of, of bullying kind of across the board. And that's hugely encouraging. And, and, and I think one of the things that Alex and I discussed is this idea sometimes that that still um, I think is something of a cloud around the topic of bullying. It's this idea that bullying isn't really a major issue or that it's something that is part and parcel of the experience. It's it's sort of uh, character building. It's something that you sort of inevitably are going to go through and you've just got to sort of view it as something that's going to make you stronger. And, and, and I really, really think that's dangerous. I think that's quite archaic. I think that is something that you know, probably goes a long way to actually just perpetuating, you know, mental health issues. I, I, I really think that needs addressing because I think that is an opinion of the of the past, and there is there is no evidence to suggest that by allowing bullying to sort of continue or, or not establishing a sort of zero tolerance for bullying in schools will make for happier students. There's no evidence for that. But but there is evidence for the idea that if you do work to develop anti-bullying culture, you actually see a kind of a happier response from the students. Well, I think you're making a really important point, Will, that this is, I guess, for us in health, it's what you're doing, Alex, with this programme is, is kind of a public health initiative, really, where you're reaching more people at a scale that CAM services would struggle, in, you know, inevitably to, to meet all of the need. But I'd, I'd like to add as well, just something we learned, and we did some research last year um, with young people in London with mental health issues, and one of the things they really wanted was what they were calling teen-to-teen advice. They did see that peer support as absolutely critical to their mental health. And it sounds like your your program, Alex, is very much sort of offering that, but obviously with the focus on anti-bullying behaviours as well. I think that, that power of peer is really important. And, and a lot of studies have, have shown that actually when, when you're thinking about messages around safety or well-being or mental health, you're far more likely to respond positively to those messages that come from a peer because... I think they don't have the same sort of authority tone that perhaps, you know, a parent or a teacher has. Um, so you're a little bit more receptive. And I think that's why it's so powerful when other young people say, let's stand against this harmful behaviour or let's support each other in this way or let's speak out about how we're feeling or about what worries us in the world. Um, that sends a really powerful message that it's okay and, you know, acceptable and maybe even in some schools all to, you know, be part of it and uh, to 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 receive support and, and be that support. Um, actually, one of my favourite schools is um, a school that Will met when we when we went to Ireland. But there's um, a great a great boy called Elliot who came up with this idea of reporting is supporting. So in in this school, um, yeah, in this school in in, in Dublin, they really do emphasise that idea that actually if something's going on, whether it's in the classroom or in your mind, it's it's worth reporting and speaking out about because it makes the community stronger and safer and happier. So I think we can learn a lot from children and, and that peer to peer model is really, really valuable. Yeah, and, and that's kind of just, if, if I may, Alex, that's kind of just consistent with one of the, I, I guess, the key lines in the campaign as a whole, which is this idea of being an upstander, right, as mm. opposed to a, a bystander. And that is a message that is transferable to many other things beyond yeah 
and, and, and above bullying potentially, you know, I think that just is teaching young people good citizenship. That stands them in good stead to make sure that when they are in the outside world, outside the school walls, if they observe anything that is endangering someone, is making someone feel unsafe, they're in a position to recognize that they have potentially the responsibility to help that person and affect positive change. So it's it's not something that is just focused or hinged on bullying or incidences of bullying, but it's, it's a, I think, a key life skill, if you like. That's absolutely right, Will, because I think this calling it out, whatever that is, you know, bullying behaviour, one, is, is a way of maintaining values. And, and we're very aware at the moment through some work during COVID about just how important social justice is to young people, how they're kind of reviewing and reflecting on their values. And if you turn a blind eye, the values of, of wherever you are are diminished. And, and so that becomes sometimes quite a toxic environment then. So reporting is supporting, I think you said, straight from Dublin. And then changing that culture where anything can be called out if something bad is going on. Are there things that you feel parents or other adults could be doing as well that might help? The trusted yeah. adult is often really a helpful figure in a young person's life. Yeah, I, th- I think absolutely. And I-, I think the best conversations that happen in, a, in, in the home or with your parent guardian are the ones around your support network and you know, protective behaviours, how you stay safe. And, and I think as simple as identifying with, with a child who their support network is, you know, people inside of school, outside of school that they can go to if they ever had a problem, a worry or concern is really key. But also something we found during um, the whole lockdown period is, is there's obviously been a, an increased importance to look at things like racism and that's been something that we put a survey out and a third of young people this year have, have heard someone being you know, racist at school but actually despite this uh, when we asked parents only 41 percent have discussed racism with their child recently so, uh, you know i think conversation is really really valuable and and you can find moments to do that it doesn't have to be awkward it could be you know, when you're watching tv and you're both there and you have you know you talk about what you're seeing what you're hearing um or it, you know could be more more focused around identifying who do you trust if you have had a problem and looking at who is in your child's universe in terms of their friendships and what are their worries and concerns i think that's really really valuable and i know both will and i've really been focusing on on, on that idea of you know anti-racism as well and, and learning what more needs to be done because it's one of those things that hasn't had um, the same sort of conversations and, and priority particularly in schools that, that there should be i think yeah not least since black lives matters became such a force for good over the first part of this year there's so much about injustice that you're touching on alex that I'm afraid we may need to invite you two back <laughs> because there are so many really important issues. And as you say, these are these. I think we we thought they burned through the consciousness of young people. These issues, and um, whether you talk about it openly or not, the issues are, are very alive to them. So, well, thank you both. But I'm very aware that you are both extremely busy and successful people and yet still finding time to keep pushing forward on these issues to promote change in the world. But I I thought we should allow you a bit of respite, not exactly whisk you off to a desert island as we're all in lockdown at the moment and not sure any of us could afford the fines, but we tend to end our podcasts by giving our listeners a chance to just get to know you a little bit more 
through a little bit of a fun experiment, thought experiment, to ask you if you could have, prior to lockdown, invited three prominent or famous people into lockdown with you to help you through it, who would you have chosen? Well, actually, someone that that, that has, you know, remained in, in touch with during lockdown and, and has been a source of inspiration and, and this big support of the work is Monica Lewinsky. You know, their story is really powerful, you know, and, and, and they've been in, in, you know, New York and California for part of this. And uh, despite that sort of time difference, we've kept in touch, we've, we've tried to keep each other motivated. She's even had um, conversations with my gran, who I'm with during during lockdown. So I always learn so much from the experience that, you know, Monica went through and um, kind of injustice there, really. I have to say, I think Barack Obama, just because, you know, even more you know, sort of relevant now, I think, in terms of leadership and, and learning and how to build a community and communities and uh, I'm still, you know, quite inspired by the Obama Foundation, which is, you know, focusing across the world, but also, you know, in Chicago and, and key key areas. So, I think that would that would be one, um, and maybe perhaps Bill, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates, because their foundation now is right at the sort of centre of for helping to fund, you know, research into the vaccines, and and that response around COVID has been really, really important. Um, and, you know, two, two minds there, you know, two really strong, strong leaders that um, are pretty much putting all of their wealth back into into the world and doing something good. So, yeah, it would be my three, I think, there. Well, that sounds incredibly inspirational, Alex, but I, I, I kind of think it might be quite intense. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could be. It could be. Um, yeah. Well, uh, each to their own. Um, but um, you would certainly come out a better person, I think, yeah. and, and, and virus-free, probably true. Um, Will, I, I, I wonder whether you're likely to go down a similar path, or would you have different types of people in there with you? That's a really, that's a really great trio that Alex has selected. Um, I think that I'd, I would have taken Matt Haig with me into lockdown. Um, Matt Haig's just the most phenomenal writer, and I'm yet to kind of find, I think, a more, I want to say, powerful and, and, and articulate voice on the subject of mental health. I've read sort of three or four of his books now, and um, I'm just such a huge fan. How to Stop Time is wonderful particularly um, reasons to stay alive and notes on a nervous planet. Um, so even though uh, I didn't physically take Matt Haig into uh, lockdown with me, I, I do have his books uh, with me, thankfully. Um, so, so Matt Haig would be on there. Um, Ava Duvani, um, who's one of my favourite uh, creatives and, and filmmakers, uh, I just think she does such phenomenal work and few people kind of uh, epitomize just how important it is to, I think, fuse kind of creativity with, you know, the informational and, and the educational. Um, she makes some wonderful uh, films, televisions and, and documentaries. And, and then I think uh, Karamo Brown from, from Queer Eye, who is one of the most inspirational uh speakers and um to be honest I, I i if i could have a whole cast from queer eye that would be fun but that would be going over the quota but just uh watching queer eye was was a big um a big thing during lockdown i was very grateful for the latest season and i think they're just such wonderful people um all of them but karamo in particular and he turned me on to a book called crucial conversations which if hasn't read it's it's it was a bit of a life-changing read and um he cites that as one of his favorite books so 
kind of knew I was onto a winner with that. So you both are really sort of taking with you figures and, and perhaps even content like like those books will that will be kind of sustenance for the, for the mind and spirit during this period, which is perhaps not so far from what a lot of young people have been doing, which is using it as a very creative time for self-reflection and to reconsider values. So they're really thoughtful. But I am going to encourage you as a mental health professional at this point, because you can do two other things in lockdown. One is take some media. And I say media because it could be a film, music, uh, recording even of a, a theatrical or sporting event um, that might give you some other perspectives on the human condition and also a luxury. So, Alex, if I can put that to you, what music, film, book, something ideally you could have on a tablet or smartphone. And then some some bit of luxury. You've been working hard. So I'm going to take a quiz book just because and maybe it would sort of keep my mind active. And, you know, I think one of the sort of hero moments with the lockdowns has been quizzes. And it's one, one guy in particular, um, Jay, who has, um, Jay Flynn has entertained sort of the nation. So probably a quiz book. And luxury, do you know what? I, I don't think I've had a Nando's since March. <laughs> <laughs> there could be people from Public Health England listening to this. You may get a blue light round any minute, Alex. So um. Where I live, we don't have Nibiru or anything like that. So, And I haven't been in, into restaurants. So I think that would be, maybe I'm just hungry for Nando's, but that would be my, my sort of luxury, I think. I, I think that's really cool. And, and given all of the intense and hard work that you, you're carrying out, I, I think you deserve that. Will? You know, there was a a series of, I suppose, kind of, um, it's really hard to describe what it is, but it, the, the, the platform um, that developed over lockdown is called Versus, and it was established by uh, the artist Timberlake and the uh, other producer Swiss Beats, and it encouraged uh, artists from around the world to compete using their song catalogs, and they they do it over Instagram Live. So you tune in and watch them kind of go song for song, punch for punch, uh, in, in, in a sort of musical competition, and that really sustained me in the early um, weeks of lockdown, and I kind of look forward to that on a sort of weekly basis. Uh, uh-huh. And, and and friends would kind of tune in at the same time, and that was that was great. So I really really enjoyed that. Um, and then I mean, uh, you you've opened the doorway to a conversation about food, so I'm going to step through it. Um, <laughs> I I I'm I'm absolutely craving. It's not really something that travels very well, but I'm dying to go to a restaurant and eat dim sum. I love dim sum, and that's that's something I'm that's the luxury that I'm craving, to be honest. Well, I, I, I think that's um, rather more acceptable than Nando's from the health perspective but for you both. I don't know. You, you, you haven't seen my order. <laughs> okay. Well, well, well um, when lockdown ends, we, we'll be um, sending journalists out to a few restaurants to see if we can spot uh, just how unhealthy you both are being. But what I liked about the competition and quiz aspect is, I guess, it's a really nice way in through competitiveness at times, kind of channeling some of that frustration and some of the anger and aggression that can even sort of be part of that into something that's really positive and creative. So, yeah, it's a brilliant examples of how we can turn other aspects of our natures into a more positive form and have a good time. So really good choices. Well, 
I know you two are phenomenally busy. Um, it's been fantastic. I feel, well, I hope this is something that we can come back to, particularly in relation to the areas of injustice that you've both um, called out really effectively today, that, as I said, are, are really burning through the, the minds of lots of young people today. But for now, thank you so much for changing the ideas around bullying behavior so much, even changing the dictionaries. It's just amazing work. So thank you both very much. Well, thank, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us, yeah. 